Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the one o'clock hour here on KSL News Radio. I'm Lee Lonsberry, your host of Live Mike. Relatively new program here. Tell your friends about us, please. Please, we're always accepting new listeners. And it costs nothing. It's free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a free service we provide here. <laughs> Listen to me ramble for a few hours a day. Uh, talk about the things that interest me, and I think uh, uh, hopefully ought to interest you. Uh, a quick look ahead in today's program. At 1.30, starting at 1.30, we're going to dedicate a solid hour uh, to the, the science of the coronavirus, specifically how medical workers are working to combat it. We will start off that hour-long presentation with a look at contact tracing. Yeah, contact tracing. We have heard uh, from experts far and wide uh, and right here at home that contact tracing truly is uh, one of the tactics that we will use to better understand this virus and ultimately uh, bring it to its knees. Uh, and then later on, we're going to talk about immunization plans. We, we know and have heard that there is a plan underway, that there are many uh, pharmaceutical manufacturers right now uh, engaged in developing a vaccine. Uh, timeline for that, you know, it, it's uncertain. You, you hope it's sooner rather than later. Uh, but right now, we are in a hurry-up-and-wait scenario. And while we wait, here at the local level, plans are being made for exactly how to distribute uh, the vaccine once and if it arrives here in the state of Utah. Uh, we will be talking to uh, immunization program manager with Utah Department of Health, and then we'll be speaking to an expert who uh, had her hands on the plans for distributing the H1N1 vaccine when it made its way here to Utah. Some fascinating stuff, plus uh, a nurse who's been on the front lines uh, throughout this battle against the coronavirus. All of it coming up starting at 1.30, so uh, hang on through then and do not turn away once we get into that great conversation. There's much to learn. I'm very much looking forward to it myself. All right, backing up, predictions. Predictions, predictions, predictions. When the coronavirus first showed up, you remember uh, we had to wash our hands, don't touch your face, and one of the first kind of uh, human rituals to be cast aside was uh, handshaking. Handshaking, yeah, I, I miss that. I miss that, but we we don't really do that anymore. We've got some approximations. There's the the elbow tapping. Uh, maybe if you're real bold, you fist bump. Uh, and if you're, and if you're real rebellious, you'll still shake a hand. But you're a little nervous, and you're you're never sure. You're never a hundred percent sure if uh, if uh, it'll <laughs> you'll get uh, a handshake in response. Uh, there was a time where there was like a foot tapping move that was happening. Uh, I, I would go running on this running trail, and one of the things that uh, other runners would do there as we gathered at, like, trailheads or in parking lots, uh, exercising our good social distance, of course, but instead of a handshake, uh, we'd, like, lift our foot up and tap uh, one another's feet 
uh, interesting thing, whatever. Uh, so, which brings me to the topic of conversation here. What will life be? Will the handshake come back? Will we be a handshaking people again? How about hugs? You know, will you be able to hug your grandmother again? Will you be able to, uh, you know, hug someone you haven't seen in a long time? I don't know. I don't know. I sure hope so. I miss that type of behavior. Interestingly enough, the Huffington Post. Now, I've probably made fun of the Huffington Post a number of times here on this program, and so uh, for this segment at least, I'll, I'll set our differences aside because I'm very grateful to uh, a, a list of predictions that they have compiled. Huffington Post went out and solicited some input uh, from experts. Experts. People who claim to be experts. Here in the coronavirus era, really no one can be an expert. We're all learning this as we go along. <laughs> uh, but uh, experts, nonetheless, uh, are predicting here what life will be like after uh, the COVID-19 vaccine arrives. And what I want to do here is I want to run through some of these uh, quote-unquote expert predictions and then take a quick break. And when we return, I want to open the phone lines to you. I want to know what you think will life will be like in a post-COVID era. Are there lessons that we have learned? Uh, are there practices that we have adopted that will forever stick with us? I mentioned the handshaking, the, the hugging. Uh, will... Will the nature of the workplace change fundamentally forever? I, I predict that it will. How so? Well, I want to hear from you. I want to hear your understanding of things. So uh, I'll give out the number in just a short while after I run through some of these uh, expert opinions. The first one uh, has to do with a mask-wearing culture. Yeah, the Hillary Godwin, uh, who's a dean of the University of Washington School of Public Health, predicts that uh, a year from now and even beyond that, we will still be a people wearing masks in public, especially especially those who are the most vulnerable uh, to COVID-19. She says, quote, I think a big part of the future will be uh, greater expectations around masks. Mask wearing has not been part of the culture in the United States for infectious disease control other than in clinical settings. Mask wearing will become more normal uh, the way it has been in many Asian countries in recent years. You'll see a shift toward that. And if I could, I, I so hope she's wrong. I so hope she's wrong. Here's a small example of why. Yesterday, after, after I got off the air, little baby Piper, she's nine months old now, and that means, uh, as all uh, current or former parents of nine-month-old, uh, nine-month-old babies, you know that there's a big checkup at nine months. You meet with the pediatrician. You talk about development and you talk uh, about growth and health and uh, sleeping patterns and uh, any communication skills that are being developed. And, well, uh, the rules are right now that only one parent can uh, attend these pediatrician appointments, uh, accompanying little babies. And so my wife went along, Piper's there, and I am very grateful to the doctor. Our pediatrician said, hey, you know, if, uh, if Dad wants to, like, FaceTime in on this meeting, uh, please go, go right ahead, let him know. And so uh, while not there in person, I was able to... Uh, to connect remotely, and we went through, and it was a fine, uh, a fine uh, appointment. Uh, Piper is uh, very well developed for her age, and uh, looking forward to even more developments to come. But one thing, uh, one thing that the pediatrician discussed was uh, some of the uh, like emotional reactions that they try to observe in babies when they come for these nine-month appointments, and some, uh, one of, rather, the emotions that they try to elicit from the baby is a joy or a smile. 
And that is often done in response to seeing joy uh, or a smile in the face of another. And well, uh, as you well know, uh, the pediatrician, of course, yesterday was wearing a mask and was unable to uh, show off to baby Piper uh, her own smile. And so unable to, in that fashion, uh, you know, elicit a, a smiling response. What I'm getting at here is that uh, much human emotion is communicated through the face. And if we cover up more than half of it, uh, we're going to lose out on that. And I don't want to lose it. And the prediction is uh, that we will become a more mask-wearing people. I hope that's wrong. I, I hope we can lick this, this coronavirus in a way that allows us to be uh, a non-mask-wearing people. All right, uh, a few more predictions here I'll share with you. Before I do, though, let me now give out the number. It's 801-575-TALK, 801-575-8255, Pick up the phone now, uh, call in and share with me, please, and all of our listeners, uh, how you think the world will be lived after the coronavirus passes us by. Uh, a few more predictions here in terms of, uh, of the vaccine. Doctors anticipate concerns surrounding the actual distribution of the vaccine. Tony Moody is a physician at Duke University and says that we're going to have challenges getting a vaccine deployed primarily uh, due to supply chain problems. I, I hope I hope that that one proves to be false as well. Uh, he hypothetically asks, how do you manufacture enough doses and get them distributed in a timely manner? Uh, we can do really nice things with vaccine manufacturing capacity. We make billions of doses of the flu vaccine each year, uh, but doing that for a new product and having the ability to get it rapidly distributed is going to be really challenging. I hope that there are some smart folks right now uh, overcoming those challenges. Last uh, prediction has to do with the workplace. And this one bugs me because I want to go back to the newsroom. I'm still sitting here in the guest bedroom. Uh, I've got the good company of my cat, Rachel, who's sitting here on the desk. And uh, Piper shouts hello from the next room over from time to time. But uh, I very much miss uh, seeing producer Amy face-to-face -face each day and the bosses and other producers that work on the program. Uh, it helps me, and I miss it. And the prediction, unfortunately, uh, is that with the increase in digital technologies, and the realization that many industries can very easily continue without sending staff across the country or across the globe, uh, uh, that uh, working in a shared workplace may, uh, as we know it, or as we've, knew, uh, as we've known it, may come to an end. I, I hope that one's wrong as well. All right, uh, quick break. One more time, the phone number for you to call. It's 801-575-8255. 801-575-TALK. Call in. I want you to predict what life will be like after the coronavirus. We'll talk about it next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Pick up the phone, give me a call. The question I'm asking what do you predict life to be like after the coronavirus passes us by? The number is 801 575 Talk, 801 575 8255. I'd love to have a, a chat with you. I've also put this question out. Uh, on Facebook, and we have received some fascinating, uh, some fascinating re replies. Let me read few, uh, read through a few of them. Uh, let me see. It uh, here's here's an interesting one, interesting analysis. It says uh, again, the question being, how will life be lived uh, after the coronavirus is behind us? And uh, this response by Nick says that all depends if we defeat it completely or partially. If it ends up like the flu then life may never be back to the norm that it was. If we defeat it completely, then we may have a chance of returning to a mostly normal state, but you'll still see the plastic panes at the grocery stores, more masks during flu season, etc. 
Uh, that, that makes good sense. That makes real good sense. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that we are able to defeat it completely. Uh, but these, uh, the, the plastic barriers, I think that is something that's here to stay. Uh, another one here from Sandy. This is uh, one that I, one of the predictions we heard earlier from the quote-unquote experts, and it is that handshakes will be a thing of the past. Sandy predicts handshakes will be a thing of the past. That's uh, too bad. Uh, Julie says, I don't think things will ever go back to pre-virus days. There will be some new ways to scare and control society. <laughs> uh, Holly uh, points out, or at least uh, hopes, that uh, we'll be a more uh, there will be a people more adept at thriving in difficulty and more compassionate toward uh, each other. I, I I hope that's the case as well. I hope that's the case as well. We have been through a lot as a country. If I think back uh, over the, just the past um, like quarter century, we've been through a lot. If you remember, of course, uh, the the unity that came in the wake of the September 11th uh, attacks. I wish that there was more of that today. I wish that the uh, United States of America, the United America that stood up on September 12th, uh, I wish there was more of that today. Somehow uh, we have used this great American challenge, this global challenge, uh, to divide us in a way, in so many different ways. And that's a, a lamentable thing, and I hope that Holly here is correct, and that once we get beyond this, uh, that we will be much more adept at thriving in difficulty and more compassionate toward uh, each other. Uh, James, James shared a, a fascinating uh, bit of insight here. Uh, it reads, history teaches humans have short memories. Humans are also resourceful and resilient, so we will move forward and find new ways to meet the supply and demand of the ever-changing economy, or something more challenging will come along, like an economic crisis, and we'll forget about the virus. Either way, memories are short and conveniently file precious crises away to make room for the present crisis. Now, I... I agree with that portion there about memories being short. We are very good uh, at experiencing something very challenging, and then once we are able to emerge from it, uh, letting that go and be a thing of the past. Uh, I hope we can get there. Uh, let me again remind you the phone number. It's 801-575-8255, 801-575-8255. The question I've put to you is, uh, what will tomorrow be like, specifically uh, the tomorrow that will come once the coronavirus is defeated. Uh, th this whole conversation kicked off here because of some predictions that I discovered which stemmed from 1920. It was an article in a, a Dayton, Ohio newspaper that looked forward a hundred years into the future uh, and made some predictions. And we read through that and I'll share uh, that newspaper clipping on my Facebook page and invite you to check it out. I, it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Uh, and and as, as we continue this conversation, I'm reminded of, of a book I read once, uh, written by Jules Verne. You ever hear of Jules Verne? Yeah, of course you have. Uh, well, the book, written by Jules Verne, uh, is titled Paris in the 20th Century. The book was written in 1863. And here's how it came to be written. Uh, Jules Verne had entered into an agreement with a publisher, and uh, that publisher uh, requested a, you know, a certain number of written pages from the great Jules Verne, and uh, so uh, Jules went to work, and submitted this book here, Paris in the 20th Century. The publisher took it, read it, and thought, ah, you know, this is not great. This, uh, maybe, uh, maybe this is not what I'm after. 
and rejected the book. Told Jules Verne that the book that he had written uh, in 1863 called Paris in the 20th Century was insufficient to meet the uh, requirements of the contract or the agreement. And so Jules Verne went back to work, ultimately writing 20,000 Leagues. Uh, and so, well, who knows who was right there. But the, the book that he wrote in 1863, what it was, it was a prediction. It was one of these uh, similar prediction deals where, uh, in 1863, uh, Jules Verne sat down and looked uh, at the year 1960. And he wrote a fictional story about a man uh, who struggles unsuccessfully, as it turns out, to live uh, in 1960. And in the book, there are a number of uh, predictions made. It talks about uh, technology, fax machines, elevators, even primitive computers and calculators, the utilization of wind power. That's similar to what we heard predicted in, in uh, 1920, uh, that wind would be uh, a, uh, a very prevalent source of power. Automated security systems, the electric chair, remotely controlled weapon systems, as well as some societal uh, predictions, socioeconomic predictions, specifically in Paris. Now, why do I bring that up and why did it jump to mind? Because when, uh, when, when that book was rejected in 1863, Jules Verne put it in a desk and forgot about it. And it remained in that desk, forgotten about, until the mid-1990s. Yeah, when someone cracked it open and saw, oh my gosh, this is quite literally the lost novel of Jules Verne. <laughs> yeah. And it was published in English in uh, 1996. And uh, it didn't exactly get uh, the fame of 20,000 Leagues or some of the other uh, works by Jules Verne. But I invite you to, to, to track it down and give it a read. And I share it with you only because I am so fascinated by uh, predictions and how they turn out. All right, uh, back to the question at hand. Um, the question I have put to, to you is, how do you predict uh, life to be lived after the coronavirus is behind us? I uh, just got a call from a woman who says that she doesn't think life is going to change at all uh, because the coronavirus is just like the flu, and it won't change life. certainly won't let her change her life. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't believe that the coronavirus is just like the flu. Uh, I, I know that there are those that talk about um, comparisons and how maybe our reaction to the coronavirus has been uh, an overreaction. I disagree with that, uh, certainly because of the novel nature of this virus. It's new, something we haven't seen before. We've had a long time to, uh, to sharpen our tools uh, and our weapons against the flu, and we are right now in just the earliest days. Even though it feels like an eternity, we are in the early days of understanding this coronavirus. Uh, a few more predictions from uh, social media. Sharon here says, higher taxes for forever. Government thinks money is this magical paper that fairies just drop out on their front porch. Our kids and grandkids will live in poverty, trying, and I emphasize trying, to pay for all these stimulus packages. It will never happen. Hmm. Uh, Kim says, we'll be much more fastidious and kinder. Uh, Alou says, things will be much cleaner everywhere. Hopefully, question mark. Uh, yeah, I, I, cleanliness is an interesting thing. Uh, you notice at uh, everywhere you go, every store and restaurant, uh, workplace, there as you walk in, there uh, oftentimes are a stack of masks if you didn't arrive with one yourself, and also uh, some paper towels and some uh, some disinfectant spray. 
So that may be something that lingers. Anyway, uh, thank you so much for all of the input you've shared with me here. We're going to take a break right now. And when we come back, we are going to kick off an hour's coverage of how the coronavirus is being battled in the healthcare system, specifically the frontline workers, those who are engaged in contact tracing, those who are engaged in formulating immunization plans, and those nurses who have quite literally held in their hands the heads of those suffering from the coronavirus. That is all coming up. Uh, stick with us here on KSL News Radio. Next up, a special hour dedicated to battling the coronavirus on the front lines. That's next on KSL News Radio.